All right, we're moving into the uh, New Testament uh, with regard to the king. And we talked about last week the, uh, the blessings of the kingdom that God has promised uh, that he would send a king and that this king will rule and reign. And we looked at the passages where it explicitly says that a king will come and all the world will serve him. Now there's a whole group of churches that do not believe that. They believe we're in the kingdom now. And uh, that when it says the lamb and the lion will lie together in the kingdom, the, these, these uh, churches are saying the lamb and the lion are nothing more than personalities. You have lion personalities and you have lamb personalities in church and they should learn to lie together. We, we do not see it that way. We believe you take the Bible literally and uh, take a Bible that's a lion is a lion and a lamb is a lamb and a wolf is a wolf and a sheep is a sheep. And uh, unless there are little tiny words that tip you off that it's figurative like, you might say it rained like cats and dogs last night, you know that cats and dogs are figurative. And in every language you have figurative language and people who are familiar with that language understand when you get uh, uh, something figurative or a simile or a metaphor or something, they understand that. So we're taking the Bible literal and we pointed out that in the millennium there's the next step of God's restoration of the earth and the final step will be the eternal step, state. And uh, so when God gets done with the eternal state, the new heaven and the new earth of Revelation, there will be no more death. The millennium will have death. The millennium will have people who will age. The millennium will have children. Because the people going into the kingdom age are going in as human beings and who are not resurrected. They still have their old sin nature and they're going in. However, the Lord Jesus Christ will be the ruler, the king, from Jerusalem. There will be a temple in Jerusalem on the highest mountain on the earth. All the mountains will be leveled and the seas will be shortened, as we saw from Zechariah and some of the other passages that we went over last time. Children will be playing in the streets. Children will be playing over the holes of cobras. There will be no danger, and there will be peace in the whole world. They will not be making tanks or warplanes. All of that money and energy to uh, preserve us from evil without, in this state, the state in which we are now, the church age, uh, that and uh, police equipment and all that, there will be no police forces and there will be no armies. And so all that money will be put into good use in building roads and uh, whatever else. I think it would be a very beautiful very beautiful world in light of what uh, we have right now. The curse, the curse of the earth will be lifted and uh, you know uh, we enjoy the beauty that God can take out of uh, a Grand Canyon which is nothing more than a gigantic gully and make it beautiful what can he do when he wants to make it beautiful? Well, if we look at the cursed earth after the flood and we say it's beautiful, how much more will it be beautiful when he wants to make it beautiful? And he says in Romans, 
the church, the blessings that have come from the rejection of Israel have come to the Gentiles, how much more will the blessings be when God again restores the whole thing back to Israel? Okay, we're talking about the arrival of the promised king tonight and before we start. Before you do that, uh, I think you've answered this, but I, I don't remember what you said. Um, I was brought up that when the rapture occurred, that was it. Your chances were over, you were done. Now I've received teaching, and I, what, what was their scriptural basis for that? That now people who go into the millennium could still be saved. What's the teaching for that? Okay. Can you see the board over there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Here we are. Now, here's the church age. The descent of the Holy Spirit came down here, and we now have the church age. The next thing to happen is the Lord will come for the church, and the church will meet the Lord in the clouds. We still have some dealings to do with the 70th week of Daniel. 69 were completed at this particular point. There's seven years yet that God is going to be dealing with Israel. Can you see me or am I in the way again? Here we have the seven year period. Seven years. The rapture of the church is here. The rapture takes place. We have seven years where God will judge the Gentile nations for the way they treated Israel and God will cause Israel and their unbelief to be saved. There will be a great revival. 144,000 144,000 Jewish male missionaries will be covering the earth. Okay? And uh, they come as a result of a ministry of two special witnesses who will be raised almost immediately after the rapture. These two witnesses will be in the spirit of Elijah and the spirit of, uh, who's the other one? Moses. Moses. And they will preach and they will do phenomenal miracles. The world will do everything it can to quench their ministry during this time. At the middle of this tribulation, they will be killed in the streets of Jerusalem, and they will be, their bodies will continue to be laid in the street. While the whole world is rejoicing and giving each other gifts, they are, uh, they ascend into heaven. Then, all wrath of Satan breaks out right here in God. He knows he has a little bit of time. And it really, the last half is anything but a Sunday school picnic. And this is no Sunday school picnic either. Now, what was your question was, what about salvation of people? All believers at the time of the rapture, there won't be one believer left on the earth. Can I ask? Sure. Um, but could they realize what has happened and then become a believer? Some will probably. Okay, that's But I would say minority basically. Some may I I can't answer that totally because two witnesses are raised and some may actually uh, some may actually be saved out of that. I don't know. But look at Second Thessalonians in that. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll give you the verse when I get there. Um, yeah, where you got it? Verse 11. Okay, read it. And for this reason God will send them strong delusions. They shall be leave the lie, and they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in right unrighteousness. Okay. So most of the people, if not all, will believe a lie about the rapture. I alluded to it a little bit Sunday morning, uh, just in a sentence or two, that all this phenomena you've seen in the movies, it's all... Uh, what do you call it? Uh, weird. But it's all supernatural, <laughs> things flying around and everything else. It's almost like uh, the world's being prepared for something supernatural to happen. I mean, I don't go to movies, uh, except I went to see The Sound of Freedom, and that's worth seeing, actually. But... Um, the world is being prepared for all the supernatural stuff and even now our own government is talking about UFOs and extraterrestrial uh, life. There is no extraterrestrial life. Uh, Psalm 115 makes it very clear that the earth is for people and the heavens are for the other beings. The, the whole plan of eternity is going to be on this earth. Yes. When the church is raptured, and since the believers and the church is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will go with them. Will the Holy Spirit not be on or doing what the Holy Spirit does now as far as convicting and drawing people to Christ during the tribulation and afterwards? The Holy Spirit will always be active. The Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates, and He's regenerated everybody from Adam to the present, and from Adam and from the present to the eternal state. So the people who are saved are saved via the work of the Holy Spirit. However, they're not indwelt or baptized into the body of Christ. Understanding the baptism of the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ. It is not a subsequent experience after salvation. So it's like the Old Testament come and go there? Like the Old Testament. Don't you think, I mean, I've heard of some of this UFO stuff is, I mean, is some of that demonic stuff. Going What's on? that? Just citing the UFO. I mean, they talk about UFOs, and, and I don't believe in UFO, but I mean, there's more, there's, there's going to be more demonic stuff going on. Is That's the, right. There are. There is. It's inexplainable. I, I'm not a guy that sees a demon behind every bush. No, I'm, I don't, I'm not either. I think there's stuff going on. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know there is. The demonic activity and uh, a lot of the demonic activity in the church, so-called umbrella of the church, is in the pulpits. How is that? I was going to mention in Matthew 24... And Jesus explains quite a bit of the signs of the time, you know, leading up to the desolation of, of abomination. Right. Matthew 24 is this whole section. Yeah. I had a question for you on just 
just to piggyback on Faith's question was, so in the in the kingdom, obviously there will be birthing, and uh, are also aren't sacrificial, aren't sacrifices reinstituted, sure. and so from here on, yeah. So my my thought is, and I, I don't I don't have this is just kind of surmised when you kind of put all those scriptures together, but my thought is that. There's so there's still so much witness still happening from the two witnesses and from uh, this is the two witnesses are here right they're done at this point uh, just saying just adding in the events of the time period um, and there's there's always a remnant my thought is there would still be some who could come to saving faith during the kingdom. Uh, the question was during the tribulation. So when trib or kingdom? Uh, the tribulation. Okay. There'll be millions saved here. Yeah. Gentiles and Jews. Mm-hmm. Will they go? Will they be raised then, or will they be have to stay there for the seven okay. years? Okay. The the ones who die at the end of the tribulation, which is two thirds of the world, including believers. If the world population is what would it be? Ten billion people. Somewhere. Sixty six billion plus will die in this period. In seven years. Uh, and believers, two thirds of the believers. The hundred and forty four thousand are sealed. They'll go in here. Now, everybody who is alive and a Christian at the end of this period goes into the kingdom. So there are no unbelievers in the kingdom initially. Is that explained in Matthew 24 and 31? Go ahead and read it. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Right. Also, you get these parables in Matthew 13, where they put the net into the water, and they ping up all kinds of fish. They throw the bad fish away and keep the good fish. Because the kingdom parables over here, which Jesus told, is talking about the period coming. So in other words, when the kingdom starts here, everybody's a believer. There will be no witness. They will see Jesus Christ. Everybody will see Jesus Christ. Uh, The knowledge of the Lord will be like the water that covers the sand of the sea. Everybody will know about the Lord. So there's no devil to hinder it yeah so that's my question is in the kingdom there will be babies born yes and so forth yes but we're born yet with a sin nature yes so those babies would have to come they'll be ruled with a rod of iron like all of us right. with sin being suppressed but my, I guess my question is do they do they they, they still have to come to a saving faith and knowledge. Absolutely. So that so can that still happen in the kingdom? Yes. Okay, that, that's what I was getting at. It will still happen, but a, a large group will not. Right. In spite of the, seeing Jesus Christ, in spite of having a good education, in spite of having a chicken in every pot, in spite of the fact of having no wars, no crime, nothing, everything is perfect environment, Perfect environment does not save. 
It takes the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And he and he and his resurrected physical body will be ruling the world. So those who come, essentially, I just thought of this. So if, I, if, if a person is saved during the kingdom, they're, they're essentially kind of saved forever. By, yeah, by forever and by sight. I mean, yeah. by no longer necessarily just faith. They have faith that Jesus died on the cross. Mm -hmm. There's proof in this. He still has the scars in his hands and his feet. So you go, if you go to shake the hand of Jesus Christ in the millennium or in the kingdom, you still see the scar. And they'll have to make pilgrimages to Jerusalem. Uh -huh. So they may... Yeah, everybody will have to go to Jerusalem. This living once a year for sure. And if they don't go, they get judged. It doesn't rain on their farm. Zachariah. Thomas. Very quick question so that we can actually use the notes that you printed today. Um, <laughs> in the second Thessalonians 2 passage, it says in that verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Is he who restrains the Holy Spirit yes, in the life of believers? I believe. So then I there's bring up no active erases. Everyone with the Holy Spirit is gone in yes. an instant. The restraining, the restraining ministry right now is within the church. This is the restraint. Okay. I'm gonna let's might as well get a little bit controversial to some extent here. We have we have uh, a lot of issues. I went and saw the movie, The Sound of Freedom, it's about human uh, sexual transportation or whatever you want to call it. How do we fight that? How do we fight abortions? How do we fight uh, sex trafficking? How do we fight all this gender changing homosexuality? What's the mission of the church? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. That's the mission of the church. It's not through politics. It's not through changing, we're not here to change morality. We're here to preach the gospel which changes lives. And it's the, it's the gospel, and as the church loses its salt, it's no good. When this, church, when this country started, people came over here for religious freedom. When they built the church, the church was strong. Uh, ben Franklin wasn't a believer. Most of the leaders of our country were theists. They believed in God, but they believed God created the world and it was our responsibility to keep it up. And so there was an so there was there was a godness and there was an influence in the church, but apostasy in the last fifty years is unbelievable. And we now have churches accepting women pastors, lesbians, 
and they're talking about homosexuality, whether they should accept it in the church or not. We're way off track. And so the mystery of lawlessness that you mentioned, the mystery of lawlessness is just gathering speed. It's already as, you know, in 1 John, he talks about the fact that this is the spirit of the Antichrist. And he's talking about the Antichrist who is going to be in that tribulation, period. We already have the system that will set him in order already operating right now. Sorry, I'm preaching to the, to the choir, but, but that's, that's what's happening. And, and, and churches are getting bled off into politics. And that's not the answer. Because God, tell you what, at the end of this age, if Jesus were to come tonight, seven years, every nation of the world that exists right now, with the exception of Israel, will be destroyed. Love, not what? The world. The world. You can't change it. It's not our job. Our job is to preach the gospel to every creature and train them in all things whatsoever Jesus taught us. That's our, that's our job as, as a church. Now we can, we have in, in uh, this country, we have something Christians never had before. As a Christian, we can vote and we can express our opinion in this nation and we should. We should be patriotic. But the love has got to be to spread the gospel first of all and bring people to be taught. I didn't hear an amen, but guys, this is where it is. Go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel. Paul said in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word in season and out of season. Preach the word. And, and we get to messing up with everything but social things and everything else. And uh, The poor, we, if, if your neighbor's poor, help him out. If he's sick, help him out. But the main thing when you help him out is tell him about the Lord, why you're doing it. Rather than getting into massive uh, social work. Now God has opened up in this, something in the Ukraine. Our son Rick is uh, head of uh, the Slavic Gospel Board, and he was telling me that the United Nations has all kinds of food to give to people in Ukraine, but they have no system to distribute it. So what they've done is they've gone to the evangelical churches. So the evangelical churches are spreading out all this stuff that has been stored and saved by the United Nations, and it's all coming from a church with the gospel. Praise God, he has all kinds of ways of working. I, I, I'm so glad you said that. This is something I hold back on in my classes frequently. And COVID really, really convicted me in this area. Too much discussion in foyers and too much discussion elsewhere on politics instead of edification, instead of edifying 
and in in one of the things that I'm enjoying restudying again in, in church history, and this is a fact, every time the church gets sidetracked in politics, guess what happens? It is weakened severely to the point of destruction. Yeah. And we're going to hit it in this next age, next week, Lord willing, uh, when we get to Roman Catholicism and you want to know why the church was weakened, because the, the Pope became a political leader. Huh. And, and then we go into 400 years of despair and thank the Lord for the Reformation <coughs> and, and some of these time periods, but this is good. And there's a reason why Christians should hate sin. We are aliens. We, we don't belong here. We're right. citizens of another nation. And so these discussions just remind me and deepen that conviction even further, so I appreciate it. Yeah, put, you know, do you want to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss or rust does not corrupt? Put your life and your life work in doing things for the Lord. That lasts. When you do something positive for the Lord, that's for eternity. When you do something to correct the government of the land, let me tell you something, that's a waste of time. That's not your job. We are not Israel. In the Old Testament, that was Israel. That was their job. That Israel was part of the, the whole <coughs> covenant thing. But we're not in that. We're not there, you people. Because everything in this world that we have right now is going to burn. <coughs> Except what you and I do for the Lord. What we're doing tonight is eternal. This is going to last forever. And you can see the forces that are in our own country. They're evil. They're wicked, and it's getting more so. Republicans and Democrats alike, they're unbelievers for the most part, and the sin that goes on is just unbelievable. The more they expose Washington, the more putrid it becomes. Because there's no restraint. There is no restraint, and the churches have, have lost their restraint. And when a church is in a certain area is really thriving, it keeps sin down. You know, it keeps sin down. When a church is really going, it keeps sin down in the neighborhood. Even you, you walk out and you men, you go to coffee and somebody says, well, I got this joke. Oh, you're here. I won't talk, tell it because you're a believer. And they know you're a believer, so they say, I won't, I won't tell this joke. You're here. Well, there are, this is a clean joke, they'll say. Ever heard that? <laughs> I heard it all the time at a gas station when I worked there. <clears throat> Kept a lot of dirty stories from being told. It didn't keep everyone, unfortunately, but it did keep some. I'd go hear the glory of God in the morning and afternoon, I'd be in this gas station. So, it was really interesting. Give the definition of restraint. To hold down. Put pressure on. Okay. 
The Old, the Old Testament had a challenge. Prophets had a challenge. A conundrum. They had a real, they had a real problem. From the time of David to the end of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the, 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 concerning the coming Messiah, they increased greatly. The prophecies really increased. The Psalms and the prophets revealed a great mass of minute details about the Messiah's person and career. The majority of these prophecies the picture is painted that of a great, powerful, and glorious son of David. We talked about that last week. He would rule from all over the earth. This king is coming. He'll rule from Jerusalem. He'll rule the whole world with a rod of iron. And then it talked about his kingdom full of prosperity, no wars, peace. Even the animal world curse is lifted. The Messiah's reign will be characterized by righteousness, justice, and peace over the whole world. The greater David will conquer, destroy all of God's enemies, and judge the people. Somebody read Isaiah 9, 6-7. You ought to know this from Christmas. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness <coughs> from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the host, Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Okay, has any of that been fulfilled yet? No. No. The government has not been on Christ's shoulders. His name is still Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There'll be no end to the increase of his government of peace, but we haven't had that government yet. But the zeal of the Lord will perform it. So that's still future, right? It's still awaiting a, a time when that'll take place. Okay, take a look at Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 9. This is just a small smattering of what we discussed last week. All right, Isaiah 11, 1 to 9. There shall come forth a shoot from the stone of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, nor decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, decide with equity for the weak of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his ways. Faithfulness, the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them, the cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw with the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. 
They shall not hurt or destroy. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Okay, that'll be, there's no need for a witness. The knowledge is there. Now, none of this has happened at this point. Who is the son of Jesse? Who's Jesse? The father of David. So, the son of Jesse, the son of David, who is? Jesus Christ. And when he rules, the spirit of the Lord, Yahweh, will rest upon him. Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength. Wouldn't it be great to have a king who knows everything and has a solution for every problem? He will judge the poor. He will decide with fairness the afflicted. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Cow and the beast will lie down together. Along with these glorious prophecies concerning the Messiah are statements about his lowliness, his rejection, and his suffering. Much is said in the Old Testament of him being a servant to do God's will. Furthermore, the Old Testament talks about him being reproached, re dejected, betrayed, led to the slaughter, dying for our sins, and being cut off. We have both. Isaiah 53.3 is an example. Let's just read, that's just one example. Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Question over here, I heard. Yeah. On that Isaiah 11 passage, the fact that there is poor and afflicted and Jesus on earth at the same time. Yeah, evidently that would indicate that they're talking about the millennial kingdom. Obviously, right. like we've said in past weeks. Anybody that's shortchanged will be uh, receive personal counsel from the Lord. Right, whereas we would think in the new heaven and new earth, round two. That won't be happening. There won't be afflicted. There won't no. be poor. Everybody will be in their glorified body. Right. In the eternal state, everybody's in a glorified body. In the millennium, the people who populate the millennium are still in their human body <clears throat> with an old sin nature. So there will be sin in a millennium. Yes. Remember we read in Isaiah 62, I think, probably Isaiah 65, where no infants will die. The dear people that lost the twin and the dear people that are suffering tonight, um, because of a child that's very ill and might have serious complications for life. That will not happen in the millennium. But we read in the same passage in Zechariah, they will have, the old men will walk with canes because the body still ages. But the food will be perfect, the air will be perfect, the, there'll be no, uh, if you want to go there, you can say there'll be no chemicals, there'll be no things going on. 
think the hard part for me to wrap my brain around the kingdom is the is the suppression of sin. I mean, we live in such a, I mean, you know, we're depraved and we're fallen. And what is a sinless, you know, curseless <laughs> earth capable of? And and more so, what is a perfect Lord who's here, you know, a, a benevolent, sinless, perfect ruler capable of in suppressing sin? Well, in that eleven chapter 11 passage it says he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the lip wicked now when we read in Isaiah 65 a person who dies at the age of a hundred will be considered what? a curse I kind of like it. This is the way my mind works. Uh, you're driving down Interstate 80 in the millennium, and you're driving 76 miles an hour. You'll get it. <laughs> huh? I'm gonna get it. There's no police. Jesus. You won't. You'll get it. The king knows what you're doing. <laughs> you have a king who is omniscient and omnipresent in a human body. Figure that one out. You want to talk about a mystery? Talk about that. How can he be in a human body and be everywhere present? Okay, let me ask you another question. Where is Jesus Christ physically today? Right hand of the Father. Right hand of the Father. Okay, there's more in two and three gathered right here. So where is it? He's in our midst. He's here. Now put your mind around that one. Now all the believers here are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, correct? That's easier to understand because He is a Spirit. But Jesus is a human being 100%. And 100% God. He's in one person. Theologically, we call that the hypostatic union. This question came up when I was teaching the attributes, and I tried to study this some more, and I don't know that I really understood or asked. So, obviously, there's you know the three levels of. Uh, shield, heaven, and, and earth. So his omnipresence, is it also in, in hell? Psalm 139. Okay. Take a look. Is that the depths of shield passage or whatever that is? If I go to shield, what? You are there. You are there. there. Okay. There's no place you can go. The God isn't there. Psalm 139, why am I not Verse 8. Verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, behold, you are there. Okay, if I go to heaven, the highest place possible, and I go to shield, the lowest place possible, you're both places at the same time. All of God is here in countryside, and all of God is in Moscow. 
and Jesus too. I mean, our God is not some small, isolated God sitting in a little palace somewhere. That's pretty lady, wicked. We had a lady come to speak at our women's thing, and she talked about <coughs> have God in a box, and as we grow in the Word, the box grows. She said the greatest day in your life is when you throw the box out. Mm-hmm. He's God, and there's no explanation. Did you hear that over there? I'm so quiet. <laughs> A lady came to Bob's study and she had God in a box. And she believed that as she grew, the, the box would grow her knowledge of God. But the greatest day came when she threw the box away. All right. This uh, study will go for 10 more years. <laughs> but we have good questions. Pardon? Good questions are being asked. Yeah. I don't mind it. I'm not on a uh, semester. Okay. We talked about the fact that there, it is a king and glorious announcement of the king is coming. He's going to be powerful. He's going to rule the whole world. <clears throat> He's going to lift the curse of the earth. People are going to live to a ripe old age. That's what Israel was expecting. And their biggest hope was that this great and glorious king would take the yoke of Rome off their back. So when Jesus said, I'm the king, and he was meek and lowly, what did they say? We don't want that kind of king. We don't want that kind of king. But he also predicted, as we just read, that he was despised forsaken men. That was prophesied too. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. So the prophets struggled with this. How do we handle the glorious prophecies of this king and the sufferings of this king? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 11. So concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Interesting, isn't it? It was such a great time. The prophets had a hard time doing this that some believed there were two messiahs. One who would suffer and one who would be glorious. Some, it was such a quandary, they just gave it up, period, and (coughs) reduced the whole religion to formalism. And some abandoned it entirely. But the key word in these verses is the word and. You see where it is? He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The other key word in this verse is the word time. Notice he said there was an indicating, knowing the person of time or time, the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glory to follow. Christ suffers first, glory follows. 
That's what he's saying. The two are the same person. Take a look at Luke chapter 24, verse 25 and 26, where it comes up again. Luke 24, 25 and 26. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Okay, there's and again. Suffering first, glorious afterwards. So when Jesus came, had they been alert to the prophecies of the Old Testament, they would have recognized he was a man of sorrows. They'd have recognized the fact that he was lowly and despised. When here's the here's the king of the earth, the future king of the earth, the second person of the Godhead. A guy says, I want to follow you, Lord. And what does Jesus say? Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. Well, where am I going to lay my head? He's the richest person that ever existed. But he was lowly. Show of heart. That's why they missed the whole thing. They focused on the glorious king and ignored the teaching of his suffering. I think it's interesting the emotion of Christ when he, you know, when this was done and stood over Jerusalem and wept. Um, if you had only known, and I think you think of the how many hundreds of years, you know, from the time of the major prophets to that moment must have been on Christ's mind and heart of all that had been done and said to prepare for that moment and and even the foreknowledge of Christ knowing that that wouldn't happen mm -hmm. still the emotion that was displayed over Jerusalem not knowing but get them get some year later the first time I saw Jerusalem we want they stepped out of the bus and we saw Jerusalem from a slightly different viewpoint than the Mount of Olives. It was from the uh, from the uh, a, a university, the Hebrew University, but you could see all of Jerusalem. And I got out, and I actually wept. And the the the, the verse that came to my mind over and over again every time I see Jerusalem is, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem." You killed the prophets. And you killed your king. The, the good part of that, there's glory that follows. There's an eternal salvation. And there's eternal hope. But here's a people that rejected <coughs> Jesus Christ who's on the earth. Like I, try, I don't know if I could get across Sunday. It was just too hard to do. But the... But, Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. And he walked on this earth. And uh, he is the firstborn. He is first of everything. Next Sunday we'll talk about he's the creator. He created everything in seven days. Six days. With a word. And it was so. Yes, John. That Luke 24, that next verse after Jesus, it's uh, 
Jesus' kingdom Bible study to the disciples. The begin, then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. What a teacher. Starting with Moses all the way through yeah, all he the gave prophecy, the whole Old Testament. The whole kingdom. Takes me 60 years and not even start. And he did it in one evening or whatever that was. What a teacher. What a person. Well, our time is up. You know the chorus, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me alone. Bob, can you start us on that? Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me. Thy